0: Well, we've had a little bit of everything tonight, and it has all been good. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful service this is. And we started on Thursday, and it's just been building and building with enthusiasm and excitement as we're heading toward tomorrow. And uh, I'm just, just glad to be here. Now, I want to give you something from our ministry don't want to sell you anything. want to give you something from our ministry. Our ministry is called Keep Believing Ministries. You know what you need? Do you know what you need tonight? You may not even know you need this. Yeah, besides an iPad, right? I mean, that's, besides this. I mean, this goes without saying, of course, right? We all need an iPad. But besides that, You'll have to pay for the iPad. But what I want to give you is what you need. What you need is a keep-believing wristband. What? I can't believe you're not running to get them right now. We've got hundreds of them back Yeah, back there in the back. Hi. Back there in the back. That's right. Uh, Jesse had one on, and uh, DW had one on, and Matt had one on. Uh, We started giving these things away about three years ago. And we cannot keep them in stock. We give them away by the thousands and thousands and thousands. And I was never a wristband wearer, but I've had one on all the time I've been preaching here. Uh, Everywhere I go, I wear these. Uh, I'm not a wristband kind of guy because I just thought, well, you know, that's not for me. But we started giving these things away and we can't keep them in stock. And I thought it would be just for the kids. Then I found out, no, you want the adults want them. They want to give them to their kids and give them to their grandkids. They say two words. They say, keep believing. Keep believing. This is a tremendous evangelistic tool because, you know, actually today it's very cool to wear a wristband. You're hip and cool if you've got a wristband on. <laughs> so you wear this out in the world. It doesn't matter. It's very cool. And believing in something's very good. So you wear this. People out there, no matter what their religion is, They'll see this and they'll go, oh, keep believing. Keep believing in what? And you're right there at the door. They've asked you to explain what you believe. So if you want to get one or two or a handful for your kids or your grandkids, we got them back there. Here's the deal. We put them with the D.W. and Jesse's uh, CDs back there. Uh, Buy a CD, get a free wristband. Hey, right? Got to help each other out, right? So whatever. So go back there and get your wristband and check out the wonderful music of the Crutchfields while you were there. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke 22? Luke 22. For the message entitled, Midnight Miracle. Midnight Miracle. This is the last healing miracle our Lord ever performed. The last one. Luke 22, beginning in verse 47. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob was there. One of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas... Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Those around him saw what was going to happen. They asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, No more of this. Touching his ear, Touching his ear, he healed him. Midnight in Gethsemane, Jesus is praying alone. In the distance, the flickering lights of the torches of the soldiers, the Jewish leaders led by Judas Iscariot coming out of the old city of Jerusalem Down the Kidron Valley and up the slopes of the Mount of Olives. It happened so quickly. A brief conversation. A hurried kiss on the cheek. The soldier stepped forward to take Jesus away. In the confusion and semi-darkness, Peter knows he has to act. He has to do something to protect his master. Grabbing his sword, he takes a wild swing. The sword finds its mark but not as Peter intended. If he hoped to scare off the soldiers, it didn't work. If he hoped to inspire the other disciples, that might have worked had not Jesus stepped in. In the confusion, in the darkness, the pushing, and the shoving, and the yelling, and all of that melee, when he swung the sword, he lopped off the ear of the high Priest, servant. Screaming now. Shouting. Cursing. Blood spurting everywhere. Soldiers on alert. Yelling. And all of a sudden, almost as quickly as it started, it's over. Jesus reaches out His hand. Touches the servant's head. And He heals the servant's ear. The whole thing probably lasted. 30 seconds or 45 seconds. Certainly not more than a minute or a minute and a half. It's a little story. It is a forgotten piece of the gospel record. Yet it must have made a great impact. Because this little forgotten miracle is told in all four gospels. Matthew tells one part. Mark tells one part, Luke tells one part, John tells one part. Only John tells us about Peter and the name of the high priest's servant, which was Malchus. Only Matthew tells us why Jesus didn't fight back. And Luke is the only one who tells us that Jesus actually reached out and healed Malchus' ear. The early church... Never forgot this story. What shall we do with it tonight? Let us frame the question this way. How does a follower of Christ respond when all is lost? What do we do when our dreams seem to disappear in the darkness? How do we react righteously when all seems to fall apart around us this text now when i say this text i mean not only luke but i'm taking the whole story matthew mark luke and john and weaving it all together if you look at the four accounts of this same incident we can give the following answers how do we react when all seems to be lost number one by refusing to give in to impulsive anger It is easy to understand why Peter got angry. It was late at night. He was tired. It had been a long day. He was fiercely loyal to his master. And when he saw Judas, that traitor, kiss Jesus on the cheek, that was too much. And when he saw them bind up the hands of Jesus and begin to lead him away, Peter thought, we got to put a stop to this. This isn't right. And so with the sword, he takes this wild swing, no doubt meaning to behead the servant of the high priest. And I stop to say this, everything about this story makes perfect sense. It's time to fight. You know there's a time to talk and there's a time to fight. And I'm sure Peter thought to himself this is the time to fight. Peter meant what he said. He was ready to go and die for Jesus. He was ready right then. I remember years ago there was a business bestseller called In Search of Excellence talking about what makes great companies great. And uh, one of the chapters in the book is called A Bias for Action. And it is subtitled, Ready, Fire, Aim. (laughs) That's exactly what Peter was doing that night. And he did it. Maybe out of good motives, but he did it because he was hurt. He was scared. And he was angry. It's at this point we recall recall the words of James who wrote, Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow to anger. I wonder how many of us are good at that. I thought about having you raise your hands and I thought, no, I won't do that. But that is a good question. How many of us would say tonight, I am slow to anger? I am sure there is a slice of humanity, I think it's a pretty small slice of humanity, that can honestly say, I am slow to anger. But for the rest of us, here is a message from the Lord. Your anger and God's righteousness generally move in opposite directions. Years ago, I was... At a low point in my own life. I remember listening to a Christian counselor on the radio. It's one of those moments when I was driving down the road. And I was just, you know, clicking around the dial. And I just clicked on this Christian counselor. And I only listened for about three minutes. But what he said in those three minutes actually changed my life. He said... When you find yourself getting angry and you find yourself, your anger is beginning to spin out of control. When you realize you're losing control and you're losing it, he said, You ought to ask yourself this question What am I afraid of? Because underneath the spiraling anger of life, almost always is a deep, Seated fear and most of the time it's a fear of losing control because most of us are pretty cool as long as everything's going our way most of us do pretty well as long as everybody around us does exactly what we want them to do but let the world begin to spiral out of our control and suddenly out of that fear comes anger and I think that's what was happening to Peter that night the fear of seeing What was happening to Jesus caused the anger to well up and caused Peter to make a terrible mistake. What do you do when you see your dreams beginning to slip away? Number two, you respond righteously by choosing to lose rather than winning through brute force. Mm. This is not popular today. Uh, It was the great general... George Patton, who famously said, Americans love a winner. America will not tolerate a loser. Totally true. That's why we care about the World Series. That's why we care about the Super Bowl. That's why we got the Stanley Cup, the Gray Cup. That's why we fill out all these brackets for March Madness. We want to be able to say, my team won and your team lost. We love to win. We hate to lose. But that's precisely what the followers of Jesus are sometimes called to do. In Christ's kingdom, the values of the world are turned upside down. Remember what Jesus said, he who would save his life must what? Lose it. He said, take up your cross and what? Follow me. What shall it profit a man to gain what? The whole world. And yet lose his own soul. He who would be first among you. Must be what? Servant of all. Whoever loves his life. Loses it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Gains it. Sometimes. When you follow Jesus, you've got to lose in order to win. That's what Jesus meant when he said to Peter in Matthew 26, 52, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who draw the sword will die by the sword. Brute force cannot advance the kingdom. I think we probably, in this day of such divided spiritual loyalty, we need to remember that. Hmm. Um, let me say it this way i got another whole sermon coming out here, which I'm only going to give in about one paragraph. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world today that ought to make us angry. And it does. We see, we see wrong. Truth forever on the scaffold. Wrong forever on the throne. and We see the forces of evil ascendant in government. In politics, in the entertainment industry, in the media, in, in the books we read. On the, we, we see evil seeming to win the day around us all the time. Let me just say this. Uh, I, think I think there is such a thing as righteous anger. I do believe in that. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You uh, cannot win a lost person by yelling at them. You know how we know that? We've all tried that. We've all, especially when they're close to us, right? We've all tried yelling at people. We've all tried, you know, lobbing scripture verses like hand grenades at people, hoping they will blow up and, you know, clear the whole area. You cannot argue. I, I think you can't argue people in anger to Jesus, but you can argue people in anger Away from Jesus. The servant of the Lord, Paul said, must be gentle, must be kind, not given to controversies. So, you know what I think? I think when we try to use brute force and coercion and anger to get our way, it means we don't really believe in God. Because if we did, we wouldn't try to take matters into our own hands. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 53. He said said to Peter and to the others, Do you not think that I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Well, you just do the math. Six thousand times twelve is what? That's 72,000. Angels, you don't think 72,000 angels couldn't handle that little group of Roman soldiers came out there to the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 54 says that Jesus refrained from calling on those angels because that he knew that his death was necessary to fulfill God's plan. He said, It must happen this way. Now, I don't blame Peter. For not fully understanding those words. It's after midnight. He's tired. He's confused. He's angry. He's worn out. He's upset. And in his despair, he wants to do something. I mean, we've all been there. We have all been there. When we have seen injustice happening around us. And we want to do something. We want to do something. The danger is. When you try to do something motivated by anger. You, most of the time, will make matters worse, not better. And it's really not going to get you off the hook to say, well, I meant well. That really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Um, Peter wants to do something to help Jesus. So, if you're taking mental notes, I want you to take a mental note right now. Jesus can take care of himself. He's the Son of God. Jesus can take care of himself. What seems to be the cluttered rush of events, what seems to be a, 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 a merely a wicked act, Of heinous betrayal. That the the Judas kiss. What seems to be the most unrighteous act in the world. The murder of the Son of God. Turns out to be the plan of God. Unfolding to bring salvation to the world. When evil seems to be winning. Christ calmly submits. Knowing that in the end. God's will must be done. The the, the British writer J.C. Ryle Writing back in the 1800s, Ryle said it this way, quote, He did not die because he could not help it. He did not suffer because he could not escape. All the soldiers of Pilate's army could not have taken him if he had not been willing to be taken. I like that. All the soldiers of Pilate's army could not have taken him if he had not been willing to be taken. They could not have hurt a hair on his head if he had not given them permission. So just write this down in your mind. Write this down in your mind. Uh, In the chaos of that night, Jesus was completely in charge. And as you go through the tunnel of chaos, the darkness of chaos in your own life, where life itself seems to be spinning out of control, the same Christ who was in charge that night he is just as much in charge tonight in your life. How do we respond when the world seems to be crumbling around us third? By relying completely on Christ's supreme power rather than our own puny strength. You know, sometimes, sometimes we just got to let go. Got to let go. Uh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather fight. Let's fight. Let's duke it out right here. Man to man, mano a mano, let's have a fight right here. Letting, when you're angry, and when you think you're right, and when you feel like you've been done wrong, or, or, or even worse, when you are fighting on behalf of loved ones who you think have been wronged. You want to get in there and get on the gloves and just knock somebody down. Letting go doesn't mean being trampled on. It doesn't mean you never speak up. But it means giving up the right to always be in control. It means admitting you aren't always calling all the shots. It means choosing not to manipulate others. It means admitting that you don't have all the answers. It means yielding your frantic emotions to the Lord. And most of all, watch this, it means resigning your position as boss of the universe. (laughs) You can go ahead and rip that great big G off your sweatshirt. You don't have to try to be God anymore. Could God have made things turn out different for his son? Yes. But God ordained that his son would die. Isaiah 53.10 It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Jesus had to die. Ponder that statement for a moment, and you'll understand why Jesus didn't fight back. He knew that without his death, the whole world would be lost. So, to serve God's greater good, he endured the indignity of the howling mob, the false accusations, the brutal beatings, and the shame of death on the cross. So, let us then write it down again in our minds. Good Friday always comes before Easter Sunday. And without the crucifixion, there can be no resurrection. Peter still didn't get it. He wouldn't understand what Jesus was saying. He wouldn't understand until a few days later. Writing about this a century ago, Thomas Whitelaw, he he came up with six U's. Six U's to describe why Peter's actions were foolish. He said his use of force was unavailing. What were you going to do? Lop one guy's head off? That was going to stop the whole Roman army? That wasn't going to work. Number two, it was unnecessary. Jesus could have called 72,000 angels and all the forces of heaven. You think Peter... You think he needs you to fight for him? He's got heaven on his side. Third, it was unchristian. Because his master told him, if they hit you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. It was unreasonable. If your goal is to win the lost, you win them through love, not through coercion. It was unwise. Because God's purpose was always to send his son to the cross and it was unsafe. How was it unsafe? Uh, after Peter caused this ruckus, lopped off the ear of Malchus, servant of the high priest, he drew attention to himself. And later on, when he was warming himself, by the fire, some of Malchus' relatives recognized him. It boomeranged and blew up in his face. They know him now. Fourth, how shall we respond when the world is collapsing around us? By extending Christ's healing love to those who have heard us. You know the story is told in four places: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Luke's the only one who tells. Luke was the physician; he got the medical part of this unexpected miracle here Luke 22:51 he touched the man's ear and healed him by the way i don't want to go into this too deeply but uh, that was a messy scene and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of nerves up here right there's a lot of stuff going on here you get your ear lopped off that's going to ruin your whole day right there <laughs> Plus, it's a great big mess. There's blood spurting out the side of your head. It's just an awful thing. And you're screaming. It's a terrible thing. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. It must have happened quickly. Peter attacks. The ear flies off. Blood spurts everywhere. Jesus rebukes Peter. Then he reaches out his hand. Touches the bloody place where the ear had been and suddenly the ear is restored. Look, listen to me. I'm going to say it to you again. Peter did what any of us would have done in that circumstance. He did what we all tend to do when we're hurt and scared. He struck out in anger and in confusion, hitting and hurting the high priest's servant. It seemed like such a natural thing to do. Hit back, get even, make someone pay, hurt them the way they hurt you. here we see the folly of retaliation why would you lop off anything of the servant of the high priest he's just some kid doing his job he's just out there because that's where he's supposed to be he's not even part of this whole deal Peter was hasty, rash scared, upset angry And confused. He did what we would do. What we've all done. He swung wildly in anger and desperation. Wanting to hurt someone. Wanting to protect his master. But cutting off an ear wouldn't stop them from arresting Jesus. In fact, if Jesus had not healed the man, it only would have further enraged the Jewish authorities in trying to make things better. He only made things worse. And so, Jesus did what only the Son of God could do. He he. Watch this. He healed the one who came to hurt him. What if Peter had succeeded? What if he? What what if? What if somehow he had said, "Okay, James, okay, John, let's do a perimeter right here. Grab the spears, grab the swords. Let's go after them." What if? What if there had been some kind of like Alamo last stand right there in Gethsemane? What if they had? fought off the Roman soldiers who came and, 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 and the Jewish leaders who were with them. What if it had worked? And then Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. No salvation, no Holy Week, no Good Friday, no Easter. Our sins would not be forgiven. Um, now, I know Jesus was always, He was always going to go to the cross. Always. He was, he was destined. That's why He came to the earth. And that brings us to the final words of Jesus before he was arrested. This is not from Luke. This is from John 18. Jesus said, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus was always in charge, even in the darkness, even in the middle of the night, surrounded by the soldiers who came to take him away. He came to drink the cup of suffering. And drink it he must. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead. Didst bear all ill for me. A victim led thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. Death and the curse were in our cup. O Christ, it was full for thee. But thou hast drained the last dark drop. Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings flow for me. And off Jesus goes into the night. While the disciples flee and Peter follows afar off, his hands bound, guarded as as if he were a common criminal, Jesus now goes to face his accusers. In less than 12 hours, he will hang on a cross. But as he goes, as he goes, one man rubs the side of his head and remembers that Jesus touched him and healed him. This is truly the forgotten miracle of Easter. It happens to be the last miracle of bodily cure Jesus ever wrought. It's a tiny slice of life, a midnight encounter, a small miracle on the way to the big miracle, and It's a revelation of the true heart of Jesus. In this little story, we see how Jesus treats his enemies. When they come for him, he does not resist. When they are hurt, he heals them. He receives their attack and is led astray, led away, there to die for the very men who are putting Him to death. He will not use. His divine power. To escape their clutches. He only uses his power. To heal those. Who have been hurt. By his followers. He only uses his power. To heal those. Who have been hurt. By his followers. We learn something. About Christ. In this story, through Peter, we learn something about ourselves. What do we do when our backs are against the wall? What do we do when we're falsely accused? Even worse, what do we do when our loved ones are mistreated and our loved ones are falsely accused? Do we blow up? Do we manipulate? Do we attack? Do we hurt others? Do we turn into some kind of Rambo and try to get even? Peter did the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And we all understand why he did it. Because we've done the same thing too. Peter meant well, but he was still wrong. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. wonder what does that mean? What does it mean? Love your enemies. In 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Back in 1957, he was not as famous then as he would become in later years. In April of that year, 1957, he preached a message to his congregation called Loving Your Enemies. And near the end of that message, he said, there's a little tree on a little hill on the other side of the world. And on that little tree, on that little hill, hangs the most influential man who ever lived and through that man and by his death now we know what love looks like now we know what love looks like in a world of hatred now we know what love looks like in a world of bigotry and prejudice and discrimination now we know what love looks like in a world of betrayal and anger And murder, bloodshed, now we know what love looks like. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? In the cross of Christ, love is broken through into our world. And now, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we must say to our enemies, to those who have hurt us and hurt our loved ones so deeply, we must say to them, I love you. I would rather die than hurt you. Peter's heart was good. We know that. Doesn't matter. He meant well. He was still wrong. He tried to protect Jesus. It's okay. Jesus can take care of himself. And he can take care of us and our loved ones too. Sometimes we just need to get out of the way. Desperate men do desperate things. It rarely works out. When Jesus said. Love your enemies. He meant it. And he proved it. By the midnight miracle. Let's pray. Lord we have this before us. We know what it says. Oh Lord. Easy tonight. To hear these words I suppose or maybe not and so hard sometimes put them into practice oh give us a new view of Jesus a new view of the cross and may that view transform us and may the hatred and the fear and the anger be washed away by the love of Jesus flowing through us and in us and out from us to the hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen.